because I do so much of this just on instinct, and it's it's sort of like this storyteller child that's like, how can I keep this exciting, and how can I make this worse? Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, speaking of kicking things in the butt, <laughs> today is Tuesday, February 6th, when we're recording this. I'm sorry, it's Monday, February 6th, the day after the Super Bowl. I stayed up late to watch the Super Bowl last night and then couldn't sleep because I was so excited. I assume it was exactly the same for you. You didn't watch it at all? You know, I don't really live in a sports watching household. And um, I had, I was really busy that day and I was out and about doing things. And, uh, and I'd seen bits and pieces of it. You know, I, I, somehow I magically happened to be in front of a television for the halftime show and did not plan that. Oh yeah. Magically. Yeah. You're one of those people. It did. I did not plan that. It just, I was like, oh, the TV went on and oh my God, it's halftime. And so I saw a little bit here or there and, you know, I was very well aware of the score being what it was. And I was like, well, that really sucks. And then, um, like I get a phone call a short while later and someone's like, oh my God, did you see what happened? I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's just been everywhere. I was like, oh, that's really kind of cool. That's crazy. So yeah, that's my limited Super Bowl experience. Well, as as you know, I get up kind of early in the morning. So after halftime, I thought there's still a chance the Patriots can still win. And when the the score got even bigger, I'm like it's it's just not happening. This is just bizarre. I was pulling for the the Patriots. I'm a Dolphins fan, but I was pulling for the Patriots and I just thought, well, it's just not going to happen. They're playing badly tonight. And I, I told Julie I'm going to bed. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And she sat there in the chair, which never happens. If I say <laughs> I'm going to bed and there's a football game on, she's like up in a flash. Uh, but not last night. She just sat there. So I, thought, I leaned back on the couch and thought, okay, I'll watch a little bit longer. And thank God I did because what a game. <laughs> I, I have never I, – I shouldn't say I've never seen anything like it. I, I have, but never with those stakes. It was just right. amazing. And I'm sure we'll get emails and comments from people who hate the Patriots. I live in an area in southwest Florida where we have a lot of transplants down here from New England. So uh, I've I've just sort of, just from hearing them blather on about this, I've sort of become a Patriots admirer. I'll say that, an admirer. Yeah, I'm, I'm Switzerland. (laughs) <laughs> I just really don't care one side or the other. <laughs> now, would you be Switzerland if the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl? Would you watch? Yeah, I, I just, I put, I just, to me, the, the, I just don't really watch sports. It, I have such limited bandwidth available, an emotional bandwidth available for everything that's being juggled in my life. That sports just kind of seems rather extraneous. Like, I'm not going to squander it. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, if if there were figure skating in the Super Bowl, would you watch? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't watch. I haven't watched the Olympics for forever either. Okay. So. All right. Okay. So no, no sports for you. Um, but I, I don't really watch TV. Period. Like I just don't. I, I, I waste enough time on the internet, I guess, and I catch highlights from the internet. And I just don't really sit and, to even get me to sit down and watch a movie is difficult. 
All right. Well, enough about that. We're not going to chit-chat about movies then at any point. in. The, although we did chit-chat about movies one time. So, so you're, you're the one who brings up movies here, not me. My bad. <laughs> I, I bring up sports. All right. So we have a topic today. And the topic is a user question. It has to do with, I don't know, ramping up action and then bringing it back down and pacing and there's a lot to it so we'll read the question when we get into the the question and answer part of the show but before we get to that uh sort of a preview of the listener question is going to be if you have questions like this this was a a really great question from david kessler and you know questions that have to do maybe not Technically, or not with the technical details of doing things, but just sort of general questions about how things work or, or I don't know, this is an interesting question. So if you have questions like this after hearing the show, we would love to hear about them and we'll ask you about that at the end. Okay, I'm just going to read the email from David. Hi, Taylor. There's this thing some authors do, you included, where they'll ramp up the tension over the course of a few chapters only to bring the reader back down a little before doing it again. Is there a term for this? Do you have related tips for your podcast writer listeners like how to manage this kind of practice without overdoing it? And it has a second question, which we may or may not get to. You've also mentioned adjusting dialogue for cadence in the past. Do you have before and after examples to give us uh, an idea? And we, we don't have examples, but we might have time to talk about that before we wrap up. So first off, is there a name for this, the idea of ramping up the, the, the tension for a few chapters and then bringing it back down? Well, um, when I originally wrote David back, I was like, I have no idea. But as we're talking about it, I realized I think that's just called the pacing in a thriller which would mean something different in a romance, I, I suppose. But I don't know if there's like an actual technical term for that roller coaster ride. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've only heard it ever called pacing, and I, I don't know uh, whether it, it's, it goes by different names in, in different genres. And it seems to be something that, at least in my case as a reader, that I notice most often in thrillers where just the tension just gets ramped up to the point where you can't take it anymore. And then the author very artfully brings it down a couple notches so that you can catch your breath or maybe there's a kind of a funny scene or something and then it just starts building again. When David originally wrote me about this, I was like, I have to really think about this because until you pointed it out to me, I didn't realize I was doing it. As far as explaining the technique for it or if there's any thinking behind it, I'm like, uh, and I'm sitting here drumming my fingers on the table going, uh, I don't know, I don't know, because it's not something that, cause I do so much of this just on instinct, and it's it's sort of like this storyteller child that's like, how can I keep this exciting, and how can I make this worse? I do know that you can overdo it, and uh, people will complain that they never had a chance to catch their breath in a story. Uh, I also know that the sense of pacing is going to be different reader for reader, where one person will say, oh, this story, no action ever happened. And another person will say, I didn't have a chance to catch my breath. And the biggest complaint is that there was no stopping point for the same story. Mm -hmm. And where the author might think, okay, there's this scene where nothing's really happening because all they're doing is talking and, and sort of figuring stuff out. 
and there's this lull between that and when something else happens, a reader might go, I never had a chance to catch my breath. So some of it is subjective, I think, in terms of how the story rolls along and it it will play differently to each individual as as that individual gets personally invested in the story. The only thing I know for me personally in terms of how I do that is that it just keeps moving. I just have to keep the story moving, but it's impossible to just move from action to action to action without realistically for there to be some sense of realism for the characters to stop and figure things out or the characters still have to sleep. They still have to eat. They, they can't run for 48 hours and, and always be in motion. So I think with me, those, those pauses, which I don't like making pauses where they're just going to a restaurant to eat. For example, Steve and I have had this conversation before. If they're going to a restaurant to eat, there's got to be some other story element involved. But even still, those pauses kind of force a break in the tension if you're keeping with any sense of reality. When you, I mean, you, you mentioned, and this is something that we hear all the time, uh, one of these truisms that, you know, we talked about these in, in a show a few weeks ago, um, but you just keep throwing trouble, essentially, at your, at your character. Is there a point when you're continuing to throw this trouble at the character that you just say in your own mind, like, I've, I've got to give her a break right now? Not inside an individual book, but it's one of the stumbling blocks I've hit with the series itself, is that so many bad things have happened along the way that I'm like, a person can only take so much abuse before they break. So I can't keep ramping this up and every book keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So at what point, like, what do I do now? Because, you know, I've got to give this this character a break, which I kind of have in that I haven't finished a Monroe story for um, almost two years now. It's because I'm still trying to figure out where's that break? How does this story work? And so I haven't run into it within a plot, but in an overall character arc, yes. I'm going to bring this back to the Super Bowl because this is what I do. I <laughs> <Okay>. was, <laughs> you said you watched a little bit of the halftime last night. Yes. And 20 years ago when we tuned in to watch the halftime, there might have been, maybe 30 years ago, there might have been a guy with a guitar singing. Uh, five years ago, I think it might have been Katy Perry on these big fake animals. And this, you know, it just becomes more and more spectacular to the point last night where to exceed what we've seen in the past, Lady Gaga is diving off the top of the stadium into the stadium to start the show. And it's like, what is, what are they going to do next year? And when you were talking about Monroe and, and what you, what you have to do in terms of character arc to just keep, keep it coming. It, it, is there ever a time when you just kind of like, let's just do a system reset and, you know, maybe she's out chilling somewhere in, uh, in the south of France and she has a minor problem? Well, I would love to do that personally, but as a, as a writer with an established audience that has certain expectations, if I tried to do that in a book then I would have nothing but howls of protest because nobody goes into a Monroe story wanting to see Monroe relaxing in the south of France, facing a minor problem. They read these stories to watch her 
face these incredible odds and kick butt and basically be a badass. And you don't do badassery with minor problems. So, <laughs> so while I would absolutely love the mental break that would come with writing a minor problem, um, it doesn't work that way. Okay, so in, in terms of the Super Bowl, then somebody's liable to just skydive without a parachute next year into, into the stadium to, to, start the con, the, to start the concert. And I, I guess what you're saying is that we're not going to get Paul McCartney with a guitar standing there strumming and singing at well, any time in the, in the near I'm future. I'm not making any commentary on the Super Bowl halftime. I'm making commentary on um, expectations for a writer. And I think that probably a reboot for halftime shows could go off very well if if the mood and tenor of the public was open and receptive, receptive to it at the time, but you're still going to get all these people going, what, you know, how could they possibly, but for them, it doesn't matter. They're not making their money off the halftime show. That's not their career. People are really ultimately there to see the game. Right. But mm-hmm. as an author, there is no halftime show. You are the game. So, you know, a little bit of a different scenario. Is this why thriller authors and I'll, I'll throw out, I'm, I'm going to ignore Lee Child, uh, but I'll throw out David Baldacci. David Baldacci will come up with a character, and he'll write, I don't know, a half dozen books, and then all of a sudden there's a new character, and it, there's another half dozen books, and then there's a third one, and it just goes on and on. And Lee Child seems to be the only one that can just keep doing this. Uh, and he doesn't really seem to ramp up the danger for Reacher in each given book, it's just there always is danger for Reacher in each given book. Right. So it's not like it's getting worse from book to book to book. Right. And it's brilliant. And I think that it's possible. I've never spoken to Baldacci, so I don't know why he does what he does. But I know for me, um, it, it got to a point where I was like, I don't know. Like I have these stories in my head, stories that I would love to write, but if the reader expectations keep going for more, for more, for more, for more, I all my only possibility is just to fail, to fail people, to fail their expectations. And it can be quite crippling to have that fear. And, you know, maybe without knowing it, I set myself, myself up for that by writing such a unique character and um, setting the expectations so high for the roller coaster adrenaline and setting the expectations so high for the foreign locations. And I mean, as a character, there's only so much you can do. As an author, there's only so much you can do. And and they took such a toll. They take such a toll out of me to write them that it, it gets to where I just, I'm like, I, I, I just don't have it. I, I don't know. If, I would rather not write it than put it out and then have it just be a disappointment to everybody because it's a step backwards instead of a step forward. Interesting. Now, so I am going to, because I'm feeling the tension in you as you're talking about this, so I'm going to bring the tension down by moving to <laughs> David's second question, which is about dialogue and cadence. And I'm going to quickly tell a story. Um, that something that I, I had just used a line uh, a year or so ago when you and I were talking about the way something sounded in my mind, the way that, you know, the words sounded in my mind, and you got really excited, the fact that I was hearing these words in my mind, and, and you started talking about cadence and how important that is, how important that has been to you to be able to to hear it in your mind. So it's not just words, but it's, it's almost like 
words put to music almost was the sort of the sense I got. And David's specific question was, you've also mentioned adjusting dialogue for cadence in the past. Do you have before and, exa- before and after examples? And uh, as I said, we don't have any examples. But can you just kind of talk to the idea of hearing, hearing it in your mind and knowing when it's right? Okay, so I think I mean it's it's really hard to explain something that you don't have a tangible example for. It's like trying to tell somebody who's never seen the ocean what the ocean is like, right? Because you're just hearing it in your head. You know how when you see movies of <laughs> I brought up movies, um, <laughs> the Marine Corps and they're marching and those they're singing cadences, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the cadence in the march is follows a specific beat with, that they're timing their um, they're running to for the breathing in and out. And it's what allows them to, you know, keep in time and just keep going. And, and it pushes it, it physically pushes them further than they could do without it. Poetry is cadence as well. And in, in, I don't have any formal words to explain. I don't know about rhythm and meter and all of that in any formal setting. But I know that when I write for cadence, there is a rhythm that is much like that march, that Marine Corps march, except not the same count, not the same beat. It's a bit like poetry where the words are broken, the, the length of the sentences are broken up, the beat. Uh, within the sentence is broken up. And if you have too many that beat the same way, it becomes boring to read. But if you find a way to create a flow and have a high and then a low, within that, you you create a rhythm, a sense of rhythm, and it almost becomes poetry in writing. And I, I'm not trying to elevate myself, say, oh, I'm such a poet or anything like that. It's just that there's a, a rhythm, and if, if the words fall outside that rhythm to where there are too many of the same or too, too short, then you can add words or subtract words. You can do, use contractions or specifically not use contractions so that the flow of the words as they come off your lips or as they're recited in your mind sort of follow that up and down that sway of the ocean and it's not just the dun 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 that you would get from like a a driving drum beat but let's say for example you're moving into an action sequence where that that march all of a sudden that drive all of a sudden becomes part of the rhythm of the of the story that you're telling then you can switch that cadence and and get it into that drum beat pattern so that all of a sudden you're feeling the tension of each word as she's doing what she's doing. And so in dialogue, if if the people are speaking in such a way that it's just monotonous, she said, he said, then this, then that, it, it becomes very boring. And so you can switch that up and change the way that it's spoken in order to keep that same flow going through the, the text. Are there ways that you can recognize this when you're, when you're reading your own work uh, where you can say this isn't quite right or this is horrific, um, you know, what, whatever it may be. Uh, when you're reading your own dialogue, do, do things jump out at you? Oh, uh, yeah, sometimes. I think for, 
for people to hear it, the best way to do it is to read it out loud. I don't read it out loud very often unless I'm reading it to someone as sort of a, a test. And I'll hear stuff all the time and I'll be like, wait, hang on a second. And I'll switch two words around or, you know, let me cut out these last two because that was a rep repetition that wasn't necessary to the story. Um, or I'll add something. But I hear it in my head quite well. So I catch a lot of that as I'm going. And for someone who's not naturally uh, inclined to hear that music in their head when they're writing, reading it out loud is the best way to catch the cadence. I'm going to tell a, a quick story. Uh, as most listeners know, I produce these podcasts. Not that Taylor wouldn't volunteer to do it. Oh, if, Taylor if would not volunteer to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so by producing them, that means that I listen to them again and edit them. And that's why I get a lot of learning out of, out of these podcasts because while we're doing the show, I'm conscious of a lot of different things. But while I'm listening, I'm just paying attention and listening. And there's one part that I do that's always fun for me, which is plucking out those little quotes, uh, at one of which always goes at the front of the show. And in a really good show, I might get six or seven of those, and then it's a question of picking the right one. And almost always, when there are a variety of them, the one I wind up picking, first it has to do it relate in some way to the show, but there's a lyrical quality to it. <laughs> and I don't, I have no idea if you know this about yourself, but when you get, when you when you start talking about something that you really know and that you're really excited about, it, there is a musical quality to your voice when you're saying things. And, and I try and pluck out things like that uh, as, as the intros to the shows. Those are some of my favorite intros. So I can see why you have such a good ear for it because it's just kind of built into your DNA. This is hilarious because no, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> <laughs> now I have two things that I didn't know about for the same show. One of these times I should just – one of those times where there are seven of them, I should put the six that I didn't pick at the end and uh, just let everybody listen to them. No, honestly, when I, I – I don't re-listen to every show, but the ones sometimes I listen to them and I was like, geez, that sounds so much better than what I remember it when we were recording, which I know he really does clean it up. But when I'm trying to explain something, I don't hear cadence in my own voice when I'm speaking. I hear myself stuttering and trying to find the words to express like a mind that's racing on ahead by a mile. I'm like, no, wait, slow down. Let me catch up with you. Now you just so. did it. You just did it there. Your voice sped up <laughs> when you said racing by a mile, your voice sped up. So you just do it naturally. Embarrassing. <laughs> All right. I think that is it. Oh, one other thing. Um, should we I, – I think it would be fun since David asked the question. It's a good question. I would, I would like for us to bring in some examples. So if uh, – listeners out there, if you have some examples um, of dialogue that you think might be a little bit clunky or that, that could be adjusted for cadence or that you're just not sure about – Send it in, and if we get some good examples, we will use them in a future show. If not, I specialize in writing clunky dialogue, and I can <laughs> – I would certainly he's, he's be willing to use – He's not telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get, we'll get it from somewhere. I would love it if it came from you instead of me, but if it comes from me, we'll still, we'll still have something that will be useful for you. How's that for a call to action, not a listener question? 
That sounds fun. Okay, so let's do that. Uh, drop it off at, in the uh, in the in the Taylor Stevens fan club, or email it to contact at taylorstevensbooks.com or leave it as a comment, or le- call the hotline. Any of those things will work. Actually, calling the hotline is probably not the best way to do this for dialogue. The best way would be something that we can copy and paste. So yes, that yes. would make it easier. Yes, that'll make it easier for us, and we will do that in a future show. Uh, any other words of post Super Bowl words of wisdom, Taylor? Maybe to people living in Atlanta. I would be lucky if I had words of wisdom. Period. Never mind the post Super Bowl words of wisdom. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back again next Tuesday. Be with you next week. Thanks so much for listening, guys.